growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I get that. God forgives me. I'm forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. Because of His sacrifice, I'm seen as clean in the sight of God. But I still wake up with guilt over things that I have done. We've all sinned, right? That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible also tells us how to be forgiven by God when we do sin. But what about forgiving ourselves? Is that even possible? Asking the question, how do I forgive myself, is a really big deal. Forgiving yourself is not mission impossible. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Crosswalk. We're in our series, Forgiveness, Mission Impossible. Many people struggle for years with guilt and shame from mistakes they've made in the past. They understand that God forgives us when we turn to Him, but a lot of people struggle with understanding how they can forgive themselves. I'm set free in Christ, but practically speaking in my life, I live with this with this guilt, with this, with this shame, with this, with this, I'm just mad at myself. Why? Why did I do this? In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to teach us three steps to take on the road to forgiving ourselves. If you or someone you know struggles with forgiving yourself, this message is for you. Now here's Pastor Clay. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. I see that you and the people of Cross Culture Church have successfully completed the first part of your mission, understanding how to receive God's forgiveness. You've done well. Today, your mission, should you decide to accept, is to show these people what the Bible has to say about one of the most difficult aspects of forgiveness, the ability to forgive yourself. As always, should you fail to accept this assignment or fail to teach the truth of God's Word, Some of God's children may spend years never knowing the true joy of a life set free. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Clay. When it comes to forgiveness and this series that we're doing, forgiveness, and whether it really is mission impossible, we're covering these different components of forgiveness, different ways that that applies to our life. You would probably say, especially if you were here uh, for the first two weeks of this message, you would probably say, okay, uh, God's forgiveness, I get that. Uh, I understand that when I I confess my sins, when I turn from my sins, that God, uh, because of sacrifices of His Son, God delivers me from the, as, as I've said several times in the first two weeks, God delivers us from both the penalty of the sin that we're guilty of and the power of the sin over our lives. And so you probably understand that, or if you're here in these first two weeks, you would say, okay, I get that. Uh, God forgives me. Uh, I'm forgiven. Uh, the, the slate is wiped clean. Uh, because of his sacrifice, I'm seen as clean in the sight of God. I get that, and I'm very grateful for that. But I still wake up with guilt over things that I have done. I still feel the weight of the mistakes that I have made, the sins that I've committed. I understand positionally I'm set free in Christ, but practically speaking in my life, I live with this, with this guilt, with this, with this shame, with this, with this, I'm just mad at myself. Why? Why did I do this? Asking the question... How do I forgive myself is a really big deal. I want to 
uh, read a passage of Scripture to you this morning uh, dealing with a person in the Bible who faced that very same scenario and what they did and how God worked in their life to, to show them that forgiving yourself is not mission impossible. That it is possible to be free in Christ, to, to live our lives productively in a way that, that is healthy for our lives. I said last week that some people may find my answers, my solutions at times a bit simplistic. Focusing on the Word of God and saying that the Word of God has the, has the power and the solutions for, for every aspect and component of our life may cause some people to say, and, and perhaps you've even said it at some time, it, it, it can't be that easy. For the record, I don't believe that I have ever said that it was easy. I do believe the solutions that we're looking for in life, the answers that we're looking for, including the ability to forgive ourselves for sins that we have committed, regrets that we have, mistakes that we have made, including that, I do believe that the answer is simple. I do believe it is attainable, but I have never said that it is easy. Today I want to share with you three steps that you and I can take, three simple steps that you and I can take to learn to forgive ourselves. You may not find these steps easy, and I would go ahead and forewarn you that you will not find them easy, but they are simple, they are doable, and if you will take the steps, you can be set free from the guilt you feel over your sin. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, hard copy, digital copy, whatever the case may be, it'll also be up on the screen. Turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, just a few verses this morning, verses 15 through 19. In an episode, something happened, and we'll, we'll back up a little bit, and I'll show you some other things that, that led up to, that, uh, to this moment here in John chapter 21. But John chapter 21, we're looking at, uh, at three steps that you and I can take for forgiving ourselves. We begin this morning in verse 15. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to Gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. God, today, as we take a few moments to dive into this text and to look at this really important subject the subject of forgiveness, and specifically or particularly today, 
forgiveness as it pertains to myself. How do I forgive myself? Is that even possible? It seems in my life at times impossible. Father, I pray that your word would be quick and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, even joint and marrow, as the writer of Hebrews says, that it would have its effect in the lives of each person in this room today, each person who may be watching or listening to this message. God, help us to have victory, because victory is exactly what you want us to have. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I'd just like to have y'all do that every once in a while. I've got three steps that we're going to take. I'm going to start with the first one. Here's the first step that you're going to take to uh, learning how to forgive yourself. It starts with this, first step. Accept God's forgiveness. Step one, accept God's forgiveness. Of the 11 original disciples, Peter unquestionably was the most famous. Now, I say 11 original disciples because the word disciple essentially means follower of. And even though Judas followed Jesus around for three or so years, he was never really a follower of Jesus, if you understand what I mean. But of the 11 original true disciples, Peter is unquestionably the most famous. He is also the most boisterous, he, the loudest, and I suspect a good bit of time, the most obnoxious. Peter was the, the kind of guy who, as the old saying goes, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. He would just... Peter was the kind of guy who would be the guy in the room that would be the first to stand up, the first to speak up, and the last to shut up. I can relate to a guy like Peter, not because he was boisterous or obnoxious. I would never be obnoxious. But because he was the kind of guy that made mistakes. He made mistakes, just like I do. But I suspect in Peter's case, Few, if any, of the mistakes that Peter made in his life would compare with the mistake that led to the regret and the remorse and the guilt that he felt over what transpired the night of Jesus, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Earlier in the evening, just to kind of bring you up to speed, earlier in the evening, Peter had made this declaration that he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. He said, I'm telling you right now, if all these other guys, can you imagine if you're in that room and they're all, if all these other guys bail on you, I'm there for you, Jesus. I will die for you if I have to. Yeah. So it must have come as quite a shock to Peter when Jesus immediately turned to him and looked at him and looked him straight in the eye and said, Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times this, this very night. Let's uh, catch up with the story. Uh, we'll look at it in Matthew uh, chapter 26. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas. Jesus had been arrested, in the, if you're familiar with the story, in the garden of Gethsemane. He's taken uh, at night to Caiaphas, who was the high priest, and they're putting him on trial. The, the religious leaders are putting him on, priest, uh, on trial. Peter follows at a distance, and he sits down around this fire with the guards and whoever else were there, apparently just to see what was going to happen. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you too are with Jesus the Galilean. I, I, 
remember you, you. You're one of those followers of Jesus. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway to get away from that servant girl, another servant girl, what are the odds of that? Another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I swear to you, I don't know this guy. A little later, the bystanders came up, ah, those dreaded bystanders, and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. He was a Galilean, he had an accent. Even the way you talk gives you away. And then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Interestingly enough, all four of the gospel writers record Peter's denial of Jesus. All four of them record this, this, this sin of saying, I'll never turn my back, I'll die for you, and then doing the very thing that he said he would never do. All four of them recorded. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that after the rooster crowed, after he remembered Jesus' words, all three of those gospel writers record that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Went out and wept bitterly. Because it's not the kind of thing you just get over, is it? It's, it's not the kind of thing that you just, oh, well, yeah, yeah, well, it's just no big deal. No, 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 no. That's the kind of thing that can, that can suck you into a, a vortex of, of guilt and shame and regret that you can live with, that can linger in your life for years and years and years. Now, fast forward to the scene here in John chapter 21. It's a few days after the crucifixion. Obviously, Jesus has risen from the dead. It's a few days after the crucifixion. They're at the Sea of Galilee, and, and Peter says, I, I, I'm going fishing. And the other side said, well, we'll go with you. By the way, you know why I think Peter went fishing? I think he was unsure whether he even had a ministry anymore. I don't, I don't even know what... what I mean, do you know what I did? So they go out fishing. They fish all night, and they must have been related to me because they didn't catch a thing. <laughs> and they finish, and the sun's just coming up, and they're making their way to the shore, and the risen Savior is standing on the beach. Now, they don't realize it's him at first, and uh, it's kind of comically, he kind of asks him a rhetorical question. Y'all didn't catch any fish, did you? Essentially what he says. No, fisherman hates to say that, no. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, you may remember, this, this has happened before, earlier in Jesus' ministry. During his, his years of ministry, he, he had performed this same miracle. So now, here it is a second time. Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and they do. And when they do, they, the net is, is full, and it, it ought to be breaking, but it's not breaking. They've got a whole net full of fish. And so when that happens, you know, John, he's a pretty quick guy, and John says, this is the Lord. And impetuous Peter, I love impetuous Peter, he just, he, boom, just dives in the water, starts swimming as hard as he can. And the text says that the rest of the disciples have stayed in the boat in the road because they were only a little way from the shore. <laughs> they probably beat Peter to the shore. But that was Peter, right? And he 
he needs something in his life. And they get to the shore, and there's Jesus. He's already got a fire going. He's already got some fish and bread baking. Where did those fish come from? That bread come from? And interestingly, we can't get, I get sidetracked on so many things. But interestingly enough, he tells them, bring some of your fish that you caught. And let's put them in here too. And so they do. Now watch, watch what's going to happen here now, ladies and gentlemen. Peter has been, been given a net full of fish from the Lord. Peter's been, been given a breakfast from the Lord. Now Peter's about to be set free by the Lord from this regret and this guilt, this shame that is hanging over his head. So again, in verse uh, 15, it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Ouch, that's got to hurt a little. Maybe a lot. Because remember, this is, this is what got Peter in the mess to begin with. This, oh, I, I love I love you way more than them. And, and they, they, I'm pretty sure they're going to bail on you. But I am here. I'm going to die with you. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Something's happened, hasn't it? There's been some sort of transformation in Peter because you don't get, well, I already told you I love you more than these guys. Of course I love you more than them. Gone is the arrogance. Gone is the, the self-reliance. Gone is the self-assuredness that, that he's got everything under control. He lost that, I can tell you that. And he needed to. And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, the text goes on, as we read just a moment ago, and it says that Jesus asked him two more times, do you love me? What's Jesus doing? He's helping Peter understand that he is not partially forgiven. How many times did he deny him? Three times. How many times does he ask him he loves him? Three times. You understand what he's doing? He's, he's helping Peter to see you're not partially forgiven, Peter. This is not, okay, yeah, you're forgiven, but, but I'm, I've got an eye on you. No, he is completely, totally, utterly forgiven. And Peter needs to understand that. Now, in the text, by the t- third time Jesus asked this, you, you get the impression that Peter didn't get it. That Peter, he didn't understand why Jesus was asking them three times. But I believe that later he understood that, that, he, that all he needed to do was accept God's forgiveness. Because it was paid for. It had just been paid for at the cross. Right? One of the jokes for years around our house when our boys were growing up was, of course, we had, you know, like most of you probably do, at Christmas time, we have uh, stockings, and there would be stock, there was stocking for each one of the boys over the fireplace or wherever Cindy would put them, depending on where we lived at the time. And along with the, the boys' three stockings, there was this one little tiny stocking that was Cindy's stocking, and it was, like, officially uh, known as the diamond stocking. It, it was the stocking where she was supposed to receive diamonds for Christmas. And to my shame, very few times did it ever, were there ever any diamonds in that stocking. But there was this one time. I'm sure she remembers this because she remembers everything. There was this one time when I got her a rather expensive ring. Now, I'm, at least by our standards, especially back then, it, it was expensive to us. Well... Cindy wouldn't accept it. She, she thought it was too much. She thought it was too extravagant. She took it back because she thought it was too extravagant. And I'm telling you, that's how a lot of people 
approach God's forgiveness. They know that it's real. They understand that he paid the price, but, it, but it's too extravagant. I, I, I don't deserve that. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> and neither do I. But what does that have to do with anything? It's God's gift to give as he chooses. And he has chosen to give it to anyone who would call upon his name. What's your, what's your deserving it got to do with it at all? It's got nothing to do with it. It has to do with accepting it. John in John chapter 8, reminds us of this. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free. What? Indeed. This is Jesus. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So you want to try and explain to the Lord why His sacrifice wasn't sufficient enough for, for this particular sin in your life that you, that you can't seem to get past? Because listen to me. If Jesus sacrifice wasn't sufficient for all sin, it's not sufficient for any sin. And you and I have to come to the place where we accept this. We don't just acknowledge it, okay, yeah, no, we accept it. I'm forgiven. And we live in that reality. That's step one. We have to come to this place where we say, I accept what God has done for me and I need to stop acting like God hasn't forgiven me. Because his word says he has. Step one, accept God's forgiveness. Step two looks like this. Let go of your guilt. Same passage of scripture, but we're going to make a little bit uh, uh, further application for it. Verse 15 through 17. Let me read it. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. The emphasis the first time was the question that Jesus is asking. Showing Peter that he is forgiven completely, not partially, but completely for, for all of his sins. Now, Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to respond to the question each time. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. I, listen, I am sure that that night around that, that, that fire out in that courtyard... I'm sure those words must have res were resounded in Peter's head, must, must have just been playing over and over again a million times. Why? Why did I do it? Why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Why did I make this mistake? Why? I'm sure it had played over and over and over and over again in his head. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And so by asking him this question three times, Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to, to hear himself say, yes, Lord, I love you. So that Peter can come to the place that when, do you, do, you, do you find that guilt comes in waves at you, washes over you? It's kind of like grief. I, I, I describe grief sometimes that way to people that have lost uh, someone. Guilt comes that way. Just You're doing fine one minute and all of a sudden it's just like this, this wave of guilt washes over you. What what I believe Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to do is, is that every time, oh, why? Every time that guilt washes over him, he can, he can say, yes, I, 
I, I did that, but I love the Lord. Yes, I, I'm guilty of that act, but I love the Lord. Yes, I, I, I wish I hadn't done that, but I love the Lord. You understand what he's helping him do? He's, understand, he's helping him let go, let go, let go of the guilt. Listen, I, I, w- I would say this. Your sin was paid for at the cross. Don't you think it's time you left the guilt there as well? I got this uh, email this week. I got this email. This is good news for all of us. Uh, excuse me if it sounds funny. I'm going to read it exactly as it's typed. It's, uh, it starts, the kind of heading is, Donation for Charity. Greetings to you. And sorry if this message came to you as a surprise. My name is Mrs. Marie Tagro, a widow. I found your email address through my late husband's internet dater, late Mr. Ron Tagro. I am presently admitted to the hospital suffering from a blood cancer and Parkinson diseases. I have only about a few months to live and I want to transfer the sum of 3.4 million United States dollars to your account. I told you I'll find good news. So you can assist me distribute my funds to charity homes in your country. I have set aside 20% for you and your family. Keep while you donate 80% to the less privileged people. I give you more details or a full story as soon as I receive your reply as the fund was deposited with a bank. Remain blessed, Mrs. Marie Tagro. I'm telling you, now if I, if I do the math right, that, uh, that means it's uh, 340, that's, 600, that's 680,000 to me. And, uh, and y'all, the Crossroads Church is a, is a non-profit organization, so the rest goes to y'all. And uh, so we're going to move forward in building plans. And now listen, you've probably gotten one of these or something similar. Most of us, when we read something like that, instantly recognize it for the lie that it is and throw it in the trash where it belongs, right? But how many of us fail to recognize the lie that Satan sends your way that says that, you're, that, you're, that you still ought to feel bad, that even though you've been set free, you ought, to, you ought to live like you're still in prison. And rather than throw it in the trash where it belongs, you keep it close to you. You keep it with you everywhere you go. Listen to me. Let go of your guilt. Let it go. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to guilt, it's time to let it go because it has been paid for. Why should you and I act like we're still in, in jail when we're not, when we've been set free? Listen, can I say this to you and bring this up on the screen? Every day that you waste living with your guilt is another day that you deny yourself the opportunity to live freely. Every day. And listen, if you haven't figured this out yet, you can't get that day back. So if you waste it in, in guilt and, and shame and regret, and whatever, you, can't, you can't get that day back. And God has set you free from it. Listen, here's what I would remind you of, just a couple of ideas to keep in mind. Guilt before forgiveness is intended by God for correction. 
Guilt, we should feel guilt when we, when we commit sin that violates God's law against us. Guilt or conviction, God uses that to correct us. He uses it to bring us to a place of acknowledging, God, I've sinned, as, as David did in Psalm 51. We spent the last two weeks looking at Psalm 51. As David said, God, I, against you I've sinned and done this thing in, in your sight. God uses conviction, he uses guilt to bring us to a place of correction before forgiveness. But look at this, guilt after forgiveness is intended by Satan for deception. To deceive you into believing that your life is still held hostage by that, by that decision, by that action, by that regret. That you're somehow still held hostage by that. And nobody should be held hostage when the ransom has already been paid. And it has been paid in full, ladies and gentlemen. You understand what I'm saying to you? You got to let it go. You got to let go of your guilt. You got to believe God when he says that you're forgiven. You've got to accept that forgiveness. And you've got to take the second step, which is to let go of your guilt. Third step uh, this morning. You got to get on with your life. You got to get on with your life. We could read the whole thing again, but, but in verse 18 and 19, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. In other words, uh, Peter, before, before you had a relationship with me, you, you, you did what you want to do. You lived the way you want to do. You did all that. But when you grow old, you will stretch your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. It wasn't all pleasant. Being delivered from your sin, letting go of your guilt, doesn't mean the rest of your life is, is all smooth sailing and there's never going to be any problems. Tradition says that Peter eventually was crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ. And because he did not think himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus had died, he requested to be crucified upside down. And tradition has it that he was granted that wish and Peter was crucified upside down. That's, that's what the prophecy there is. is someday someone's going to lead you where you don't necessarily want to go. But the point is that you've got to move off this beach where I've helped you understand about accepting my forgiveness and letting go of your guilt, and now you've got to get on. You've got to get on with your life. You've got to move forward for whatever is out in front of you, all of it, because, listen, can I say this to you? Can I just remind you of this? Your past has no right to hold the rest of your life hostage. It doesn't have that right. Not if God is who he says he is and not if Jesus did what he, what he said he did. Your past does not have the right to hold the rest of your life, your past life, your mistakes, your regrets. I, I, listen, can, can I let you in on a not-so-secret secret? Life does not come with a rewind button. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching or listening to this message that would not go back and do, do things differently, doing certain things in their life differently if they had the opportunity to do it. But you know what? You can't. We can't. Life doesn't come with a rewind button. We can't go back. We can't undo. What we can do is accept the fact that God's substitutionary atonement on the cross was enough to cover all of my sins. We can let go of this guilt that feels like a rock around our neck dragging us down and we're drowning in it. We can let go of that and we can move forward in our life, move forward in what God has for us. Like Peter, God can still use us to do amazing things. Listen, before the cross, Peter was 
Peter was Peter, right? He was boisterous. He was loud. He was impetuous. He was doing things his way. Before the cross, Peter was looking to work for the Lord. After the cross, after he's set free, Peter understands that, that, he, that the Lord wants to work through him. God wants to do this work. And the same Peter who that night around that little fire was cowering in fear of little servant girls, that same Peter just a, just a few weeks later at Pentecost stood before thousands in broad daylight and proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He got on with his life. Did he, did, did, was that memory erased from his memory bank? No. The Apostle Paul had Christians arrested, had their property stripped from them, was responsible for the, for the stoning, the murder of Stephen. And you get hints in, the, in, in Paul's writings from time to time that that, that, that that is there, that he remembers what he did, but he didn't, he didn't let it hold it, his future hostage. He didn't let it, his past life hold the rest of his life hostage. He got on with his life and he, and he conquered the world for the gospel. Augustine was a womanizing, drunken, good-for-nothing until he met the Savior. And he left his past behind, and he got on and became one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. You've got to get on with your life. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. Your past life has no right to hold your, the rest of your life hostage. Now, let me give you... Just throw this out there, just a little memory device to help you. You understand, all right, step one, I, I've got to accept God's forgiveness. I, I, I keep saying it, I, I understand he died for me, but I've got to accept this in my life. Step two, I, I've got to let go of the guilt. I, I've held on to this thing long enough. I've, I've dealt with regrets and, and I've sleepless nights and all this kind of stuff. I've got to let go of it. Step three, I've got to get on with my life. Let me give you just a little memory device for those of you that like the kind of thing that, that maybe can help you in this process, here, here's what you can just remind yourself of. You are forgiven. And every time this happens, every time you're dealing with this, you can just say, Clay, you are forgiven. Mary, John, Tom, whoever, you are forgiven. It looks like this. Realize that you're forgiven. Remind yourself that you're forgiven. Rebuke the thoughts that make you feel otherwise and reach forward for the life that God has for you. You may have to say that when you're dealing with, with guilt or regret or whatever. You may have to say that to yourself a hundred times a day. You know what? Say it a hundred times a day. Say it and say it and say it. Remind, I mean, and if, you, if you're in a place where you can do it and they won't put you in a straight jacket, say it out loud. Just say, Clay, you are forgiven. I, I need to realize that I'm forgiven. I, I'm reminding myself that I'm forgiven. I'm going to rebuke those thoughts that, that want to tell me otherwise. And I'm going to reach for what God has for me in my life. I'm going to reach out and move forward in my life. It's not easy, but it is that simple. Accept God's forgiveness. Let go of your guilt and move forward into all that God has for you. If you do that, you'll discover that forgiving yourself is not mission impossible. As we heard today, forgiving ourselves is not mission impossible. It may seem like it at times, but we can accept God's forgiveness, let go of our guilt, and get on with the future, and move forward into the life God intends for us. 
As Pastor Clay reminded us today, before we come to God and ask forgiveness, He uses guilt to correct us, to get us back on the path to righteousness where He can bless and direct us. But after we've been forgiven, Satan will attempt to use guilt to deceive us into living a life that comes far short of what God intended for us. The truth is, forgiving ourselves is not mission impossible. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.